Well, hello and welcome once again to Chase Oaks Church. Uh, so glad you're here with us as we continue our Curveball series. I hope this week finds you in this craziness doing as well as you can do. Uh, there's always good news, even in difficult times. I know one little bit of good news is I was able to get a haircut. I feel like I lost 10 pounds. I, I didn't, but it at least feels that way. And, and speaking of good news, I mean, this is Mother's Day weekend. And so for all of you moms out there, let me say happy Mother's Day. You are awesome and amazing. In fact, in this pandemic, you know, there's a lot of heroes and that we need to celebrate and that we need to honor and we should. And that's awesome. But I think you'd have to put right up at the top of the list of heroes in this pandemic. I think you'd have to put moms because I, I can only imagine what it's like to be a mom right now. But, you know, for moms, you're, you have your own issues, you have your own anxieties, you have your own things that you're having to juggle and deal with in your own life. But in a lot of ways, I would imagine you have to kind of put those aside in order to help help your kids navigate their emotions and their different their things that they're struggling with and and schooling them or whatever you're doing. And that's, moms are amazing that way, just their ability to sacrifice for the sake of their kids and for the sake of their family. And I know it's not easy. And so it's a great time to say thank you for that. And and, you know, for me growing up, um, I grew up with a really great mom. In fact, she's listening or watching the service this weekend. And so happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you and I'm so thankful for you. You are an amazing mom, always have been. And that's true. But I know as a kid, I just kind of took that for granted that that's what moms do. That's what moms are. And I think I really started to get it when Christy, my wife, became a mom. And I remember that first day she became a mom when Colin was born. Uh, in fact, that day was quite an adventure of a day. Uh, it started about 1230 in the morning. She started going into labor and I was convinced and kept trying to convince her through the night that she actually wasn't in labor, that she was in false labor uh, because we had this book. Maybe you've heard of it called What to Expect When You're Expecting. And it had this chart. And on one side of the chart, it said false labor and all the signs or symptoms or whatever. And on the right, all the things, if you're in real labor, she had everyone on the left, none on the right. And then at the top, it said, do not consider pain uh, because both can be equally painful. So we're going through the night and I keep saying, Honey, you're not in real labor. And she's like, I'm in real labor. This hurts. I was like, no, you can't consider pain. It says right at the top, you can't consider pain. That's not a factor. And she, we had this conversation for hours until about five in the morning. I, uh, she begins to talk to me a little differently in a, in a voice I've never heard before from a human being or since. She got a little tired of me telling her she was in false labor. And so I hear yelling out from that place, this voice that said, um, you come and feel what I'm feeling and tell me one more time I'm in false labor. Uh, call the doctor. And so I called the doctor. I do anything that voice said. And so I did. I called the doctor. And this is about five in the morning. I'm explaining to him right away. Hey, I think she has false labor. And here's why, you know, she's like false labor. What are you talking about? She's in labor. She's having a baby. You need to get to the hospital now. So we get, you know, going real quick and get in our uh, little Ford Escort. Uh, we were at that time living in an apartment in northwest Plano. Uh, the hospital was downtown Baylor. If you live in Dallas, you know, that's a ways away, even in good traffic. It's about, I don't know, 30 minutes or so. And so we get in. It, fortunately, it was 530 in the morning. So we get in our car and 
man, I was maxing out this little Ford Escort, you know, trying to drive it like a Ferrari. But it was a good, you know, the thing that they had back then. They had the uh, tollway had those things that went down, went right through it and get down. She's she has the urge to push. So, you know, she's trying not to push, not to push, not to push. We get to the hospital and a little less than 30 minutes uh, after getting in the hospital, Colin was born. We almost had him in the car. I mean, in fact, if it would have been, if we would have left an hour later, even 45 minutes later in traffic, we probably would have had to pull over and he would have been born in the car. Uh, my assistant at the time was talking to her doctor after that, and he was kind of an old-timey Texas City doctor, and so she asked him, she said, so if that had happened to them, like, what do you say to people who have to do something like, let's say they have to have a baby in the car and all that, what do you say? And, you know, he had this Texas drawl, and he's like, well, if that happens, the first thing I'd do is get another car. <laughs> Not that helpful. Um, but anyway, so we, you know, she had Colin, and, and I will, I was so glad I got to see this and beat it. But I, I remember watching her as a mom the first time she laid eyes on him because she became a different person. She became, in that moment, a mom. And for those of you who are moms, for those of you who are parents, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the same thing is true for my sister-in-law, Becky, who adopted uh, her three sons, my three nephews. Uh, when she adopted, the minute that happened, she became a different person. She became a mom. I mean, the same thing is true for dads, too. And those of you who are parents, you know that when at that moment you become a parent, your life's not your own anymore. Your life's really not so built around you anymore. And here's the really cool thing I want us to understand. This is an incredible reality that that as we learn how to hit curveballs and the curveballs that come at us in life. The truth is you and I are not on our own. And that feeling and that commitment that a mom has to their child, that a dad has to his child that a parent has, that's how God views you. When you begin a relationship with him and he adopts you into the family, he becomes your father. And he doesn't just want you want to teach you how to hit curveballs. He wants to be there with you, for you, and, and help you through every curveball that comes at us in life. And for those of you, even if you're not a parent, just imagine what that would be like. It may be how your parents view you. It's astounding to think about that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords when he adopts you into his family, that's how he sees you. And that changes everything. And so today, what we're talking about is prayer. Because Jesus, who is the Son of God, tried to explain to us many times in the New Testament. We're going to see the key passage in the New Testament where he talks about this. How this impacts our relationship with God and how this, how this impacts prayer. And today, as we hear Jesus talk about what prayer is, um, I, I hope if you've been around Christianity for a while, you think, oh, yeah, I kind of know. I know all about prayer. Um, I, I hope you'll be able to put that aside because the truth is, I mean, I'm teaching the talk. I know cognitively what I'm about to say. I mean, that's not the issue. Um, what we're going to talk about today, what we're going to hear from Jesus is really revolutionary and mind blowing so much that our brain, I think, just files it in a too good to be true category. And so don't let that happen to you. Instead, I'm, I'm going to ask you to just say, God, would you open my eyes a little bit more to what this really is, to what prayer really is, to the kind of relationship that you really want with me? 
Because I believe I'll, I'll, I think for all eternity, I'll be trying to figure this out. So where Jesus teaches this is this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, the longest teaching we have of Jesus. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. If you want to follow along with me, we'll touch on Luke just a little bit because it's recorded in both places. And we have to understand what prayer was by the time Jesus came to this planet, because it had pretty much kind of been ruined from God's perspective. It had become so ritualistic um, and it really wasn't what prayer was intended to be. It's just kind of the way it developed in all their traditions about prayer. Um, so by the time Jesus came along, what prayer became basically was praying these memorized prayers that you would do over and over again through the day. And the first one was one that most Jewish people at the time uh, would have done, the Shema. And it's from Deuteronomy 6 loosely where you'd say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And they would say that the first thing every day. That's pretty easy, right? Pretty easy to remember as a prayer. But then if you were really spiritual, you were supposed to do this, the Shimona Esrei. And the Shimona Esrei, that means the 18. And these were 18 prayers that you would memorize and say throughout the day. You didn't say them all at one time. At different times through the day, you'd say these 18 prayers. And there was a, a short version if you were just a little bit spiritual. And there was a long version if you were really spiritual. And the truth is, the only people who could do the long version, the really spiritual people, is kind of, it, are the people who are paid to be spiritual. That was their job. Uh, they were the religious leaders like Pharisees, if you know about them in the New Testament, and so on. And, and they would do these big prayers. They were, they were very impressive. They were memorized. They would just repeat the same thing over and over again. A lot of times they would do them publicly. And they were so impressive that people would be like, wow, that's amazing. You know, how do they how do they do that? And um, and then with all these memorized prayers, that's also what the Gentiles did as well. Meaning the other nations and their religions outside of Israel is they had these memorized prayers and, and stuff that they would say over and over again. That's what prayer was. And it's interesting because when Jesus comes on the scene, he prays a lot, but he doesn't do that. Like all the things that they were taught, this is how you pray. And these weren't biblical. This is just their tradition. Jesus didn't play along with that. And so that was, I'm sure, confusing and interesting to the disciples. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he begins to teach about it. And here's what he says. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. They would do these long, memorized, very impressive prayers in public places. Everybody's like, wow, they're so spiritual. He says, I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. I mean, just talk to your father, talk to God. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. He's just saying, look, just just talk to God. Don't don't just babble on. Don't just repeat these same prayers over and over again. And of all the things Jesus said. The most amazing thing was the little word about father. Now, we're going to go back to that. But also what Jesus was really saying is, look, everything you've heard about prayer, everything you've ever been taught about prayer. Shove it aside. It's not what it is. So the disciples, we know from Luke, interrupt Jesus in this teaching and they say, well, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, that's interesting because 
of on all the times in the New Testament, all the New Testament books that we have about Jesus and his disciples, four books in the New Testament. It's the only time where the disciples who are learning about how to do ministry and life from Jesus. It's the only specific thing they ask him to teach them how to do. Teach us how to pray like you do, which is remarkable to me because of all the things they could have asked him. I mean, think about what you could learn from Jesus, like how to do miracles like Jesus. You know how to disappear like that'd be awesome. I'd love that. Or Jesus, you know how to heal people. That'd be cool. Jesus, you know how to make a storm go away. That'd be great. But they don't ask him how to do miracles. They could have asked him about how to be a great leader. Because everybody knows that Jesus was a great leader. Every historian knows he was a great leader. He gave, I mean, he launched the biggest movement in the history of the world that is still the biggest world-changing, life-changing movement 2,000 years later, an amazing leader. But they don't ask him, God or Lord, teach us how to lead like you do. He was a great communicator, but they don't say, Lord, teach us how to communicate like you do. They say, Lord, teach us how to pray like you do, because it was so remarkable. And so Jesus obliges and Jesus says, pray like this. Now, this is what's often called the Lord's Prayer. It's not really designed to be memorized and just repeated by rote. It's okay to memorize it, but it's it was really just designed to be a model prayer. He's saying, pray something like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, the whole prayer is an amazing prayer, is a model prayer. But we're going to focus on just two words because they're the most remarkable, the most kind of mind blowing and would have been certainly 2000 years ago for the people listening, for the disciples and other people listening to this sermon. It's the first two words, our father. That would have seemed blasphemous or crazy to them to be make God that personal. I mean, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the Bible did talk about how God was a father to the nation of Israel and a father to the nation. And so there was a sense that God, the king of kings and Lord of lords and the one exalted in heaven is like a father to the nation. But to make that personal, to say my father, you wouldn't do that. You would never envision God that way. Um, Jesus, I mean, they had come to know Jesus as the son of God. And so they could expect, well, yeah, he would pray like that. But Jesus is saying, no, that's how I want you to pray, because that's the kind of relationship he came to bring. But it gets even crazier than that, because there were different words for father that he could have chosen, just like we have different words for father. If you're a if you're a father, I don't know what your kids call you or what you call your father. Um, I mean, you can call him father. You can call him dad, daddy, oh, dad, you know, daddy, uh, pops. I don't know what you call him, but. Probably the most formal is the word father, right? Like it but would be a little bit, which may be fine in your family. That's all right. But I know in my family, if my kids called me and said, hello, father, it, it would feel sarcastic or it would be weird like because they would just say, hey, dad, you know, right? Because when they were little, it might be daddy. And the word Jesus chooses, he could have chosen the formal word for father, but that's not what he chooses. He says, when you pray, here's how, here's what you call God, Abba. Now, Abba, you know, you may know is a Swedish rock band. That's not what he's talking about. But um, Abba is uh, anybody here dancing queen right now in your mind. But but Abba, just say that out loud right now. Abba. Easy to say, isn't it? And you know why it's easy to say? Because it was invented by 
one-year-olds. Uh, this is the, the, the word that little toddlers, little one-year-olds, when they were learning to talk from many, many kids in Jesus' day, their first word would have been Abba. Easy to say, right? Abba, Abba. It's what a little tiny child would say to their daddy is probably the best equivalent. Isn't that not crazy that Jesus would say, when you talk to God, your creator, the ruler of the universe, you say, Abba, Daddy. That would have been mind-blowing to them. It's still mind-blowing to me. When I think about that, um, it helps me to think about my own dad. Um, my dad was uh, a CEO uh, per, uh, of a small company, and uh, the, an aerospace company, and it was very intense, and, and he was always you know, busy and all that kind of stuff. And, and his employees, which I witnessed this quite a bit, they would have to come and, you know, get perspective from him. He designed a lot of things that they were manufacturing and all that. So, but it was always interesting to watch because they would kind of, you know, peek around the corner and look in and see if he was on the phone to a customer. You know, they would kind of just back off and come back later. Or if he seemed really intense on doing a drawing or something, then they would kind of come back later. Or sometimes they would go in. And, but you know who didn't ever think about that or who, who never hesitated? Uh, me. Right. Because he wasn't my boss. He was my dad. And when I came to visit, I, when I was little, I would come right through the door, walk right past, run right past his assistant, turn a corner, turn another corner, go right up to my place, which was on his lap. And, I, and if he was on the phone, he's on the phone. If he was doing a drawing, he's doing a drawing. And I go right up on his lap and he would either finish his phone call or, um, and, you know, do that. I'll just sit there. Or if he was just working or doing his drawing, he would always say the same thing. That is Jeff. And I would crawl up in the lap of my dad. Jesus is saying that's what prayer is. That, yes, God is our creator. He is the sustainer of the universe. He is the judge. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. He's all that and worthy of all our respect. But he also happens to be our daddy. And that's the kind of relationship Jesus came to bring us. In John 1, 12, one of Jesus's disciples writing that book says, yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, his presence in our life, it's what it means to begin a relationship with God. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Paul later says the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry Abba, Father. What Paul is saying is Jesus came to make it possible for us to be reconciled to God and have a unique relationship with God. He wants to adopt you. You can blow him off. You can say, you know, I kind of like being a spiritual orphan. I'm not interested in being in the family. I'm not interested in having God as my daddy. I'm good. But he came to make it possible. He, he wants to adopt you. All the papers are done. Everything's done. He just all you got to do is say yes. It's what it means to begin a relationship with God. Jesus made everything possible. And part of what happens when you and I begin a relationship with God is we're adopted as his son. We're adopted as his daughter. And that changes everything for us, certainly when it comes to prayer. So what does that mean? And what are some of the implications when it comes to prayer? Well, I mean, here's essentially what Jesus is saying prayer is. Prayer is talking to our father who loves us and is enthusiastically ready to help, running up into his arms. And he just wants us to be there and he wants to hear us and he wants to help. So here's some implications. 
for one, and I'm just going to do two basic implications. One is that when we pray, we can pray intimately and authentically. Meaning, just like a little kid prays, talks with their dad, right? You don't have to, you can be yourself. Uh, that's what he wants. That's why Jesus said, don't just babble on and on. Don't repeat prayers. I mean, think of it. For those of you who are parents, if, you're, if all your kids ever did was just repeat, memorize lines to you, you'd be like, what's wrong with you? Like, what are you doing? But a lot of times we do that kind of stuff, or maybe if it's not memorized, that we do, we just kind of go into prayer mode. You know, have you ever done that? I've done that. Or you hear other people doing that. They just kind of get a little weird, uh, meaning normally they talk like I'm talking now. And then when they pray, they get deeper and they uh, start talking like King James English, you know, from 500 years ago. And it's like, oh, thou exalted one, I beseechest thee and thy precious nameth to walketh me through my daily life or whatever, you know, and you're like, and, you, and God's got to be up there thinking, what, what's your problem? Like, just to talk. I'm, I'm your father. I'm your dad. Come on, just to talk, you know, just kind of knock you on your head. Just, just talk. Don't sweat it. Just, you know, talk to me. And we can talk authentically. Uh, we're going to do a series later in the summer on the, on the Psalms on, uh, for in June. It'll be on the book of Psalms called Songs of Summer. Uh, it's, we're going to have some fun with it too, but but these songs, when you read them, these, these worship, they're, they're basically prayers of these psalmists uh, that God puts in the Bible because he was honored by these prayers. But when you read them, they're striking because they're so authentic. I mean, when these people are struggling, they just, they're not mincing words or whatever. I mean, they're not disrespectful, but they just say it. And that's what God wants from us. It also kind of idiot proofs it a little bit. In fact, there's multiple ways God idiot proofs prayers because I pray a lot of idiotic prayers. I know I do. And that's okay because I only know what I know. God is the one who knows everything and has the big picture and he knows that. I mean, just like with me, when my kids were little, if they said something silly to me, I didn't go like, get out of here. You're not in the family anymore. I don't want to ever talk to you again. That was the dumbest thing ever. No, I, I put it on social media. You know, I'd tell my friends, oh, look, you know what Colin said? You know what Caleb said? It's so cute, you know, and all that. And that's the way God views us, too. In fact, another way the, the Bible says God idiot proofs prayer is that, that the Holy Spirit, which is God, God is Father, Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit takes our prayers, like we think we're so smart and we're praying these great prayers, and the Holy Spirit takes them and interprets them uh, to make them sensible and good ones. So we don't even have to worry about it. We just pray. And, uh, and, and not only that, and by the way, and so I just hope it encourages you. I know sometimes it's hard to pray publicly, but man, praying privately, you can't get it wrong. He's your father who loves you and just just talk to him. Tell him what you need. Tell him what you want. And the other implication is expectantly and boldly we can pray. And the Bible even uses those words that we can come into his presence, the Bible says in Hebrews, with boldness and come right into the throne room of God. Imagine him on his throne angels all around they're not his children but you are if you know him and he said come right up into right up to the throne right up into my lap right just just come and just talk to me like jesus said he knows he knows what we need him before we ask but he just wants us to ask and so come and connect with him and and ask expectantly and boldly jesus goes on in the same talk and he says this and so i tell you keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Meaning you're not bugging God. Just keep on 
coming. Just keep on knocking. Keep on asking. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks the door will be open. And he says this, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people, look at the people around you at home right now, because that's talking about them. Uh, Of course, they're looking at you. Uh, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? You just say, look, as good as a parent, those of you who are parents are, and I'm sure you're awesome parent. But God is way better because God's not sinful. He's not selfish. So he's the most giving, unselfish being in the universe who happens to be our Abba, who happens to be our daddy, who is ready and waiting to give good gifts to those who ask him. That's what prayer is. That's what God is. It's amazing. And therefore, he just says, just ask. And when we ask, it doesn't mean he'll do everything we say. God's too good of a father for that. He knows the big picture, right? He's going to he's going to take our prayers as good as we think they are. And he'll be like, yeah, okay. And he'll do them. He'll do what's right. He'll do what's best with the big picture in mind. This week I was cleaning out some stuff in my office at home and uh, some clutter. And I found an old video game uh, from when the kids were smaller. And it said E for everyone on the top. And it just took me back to when our kids were little and they wanted a video game. And you were in the store. And you know what kind of video game they wanted when they were little? Not E for everyone. Right? Because there was M for mature and T for teen. And so they thought, well, that's got to be better. And so they wanted M for, and when that didn't happen, well, at least T for teen. Like, you know what? When you're a T, then we can talk about T for teen. And when you're an M and you're not, we can talk about M for mature. But you're an E. And we're going to get an E. And we're going to have fun with E. And by the way, I'm an E too. I think E's are the best. And so we're going to do an E. And why? Because that's what fathers do, right? And and we don't really have to worry about, we just ask. And God will do what's best. Now, think about this right now, because there's a lot of needs. There's a lot of things that we need right now. A lot of concerns we have in the in. And think about this, how incredible it is that God wants a relationship with you where he is your daddy, who, yes, happens to also be the king of kings and Lord of lords and creator and sustainer of all things. And prayer is talking to our father, our daddy, who loves us is enthusiastically ready to help. When you come into his presence, it's not like he rolls his eyes and be like, you again, really? In the same way with my kids, they just had a birthday this week. Both of them, their birthdays were this week, 24 and 27. And when they call me, even as young adults, for perspective or something, if there's a way I can be helpful, it's not like I'm like, why do you keep calling me? Like, what's your name again? Like, go away. You, you know, you just, you know, you're, get on with it. I don't, of course not. It's an honor to receive that phone call. It's an honor to give perspective. It's an honor to help in any way that I can help. I mean, I'm, everything in me is wired to do that. And I'm a selfish person. God is not. Everything in him is wired to and be, he's enthusiastically ready to help. And so therefore, let's go to him. I mean, the implications of this are so big. And it really starts with beginning a relationship with him. The verse we heard earlier, yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, into our life, to those who believed in his name, understanding that believing that Jesus is God who came into the world to, to make it possible for us to be reconciled to God. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin that we have. It's our penalty. God rose him from the dead, meaning he's alive. He wants to come into our life, change us, transform us. We 
all we have to do is say yes. The Bible says he offers a relationship as a gift. But he not only forgives us and begins to change us, he also gives us the right to become children of God, meaning at that moment we're adopted as his son or as his daughter. And you can blow it off, like I said earlier, and you say, you know what, I kind of like being a spiritual orphan. I like figuring out life on my own. I really don't want a relationship with my creator. Not interested. I get it. That's fine. But I'm not sure why you'd make that choice. Because the choice is right there to say yes. And, and, you, and, you're, and we're going to pray in a minute, and you can say yes to God. You can do it right now in your heart. It's it, what it means to become a believer, and that, and that just begins the, begins the steps to just begin to walk with God and follow God, allow him to transform your life. And if you're making that decision today, you email me, jeff.jones at jstokes.org, and I'd love to send you some information about the step you just took and what it means to grow in relationship with God. And for those of us who are, who have that relationship with God, I want us to practice praying the way Jesus told us to pray. Just focused on our Father, because it is so life-changing. And right now, we need to know God as our Father, as our Abba, as our Daddy. And so here's what I want you to do. Wherever you are right now at home, and I know sometimes it's harder at home to, I mean, a lot of you are sitting there and you're really focused, but I'm sure somebody's doing dishes or cooking lunch or doing something, and, and that's okay. But just wherever you are, just kind of, Stop that. And, and I'm going to ask you as we, just to close your eyes and use your imagination because we're going to pray, but I want you to picture prayer, okay? So here's your imagination. I want you to picture as we pray, God the Father, the King of kings, Lord of lords, on his throne, the throne room of God, angels everywhere. Again, they're not his children. They're his servants, angels everywhere, worshiping him. And you, as his little child, walk into the throne room of God. And I want you to picture his face as he sees you. Because his face as he sees you, because of our connection with Jesus, is, his, is it lights up with a smile. And I want you to hear him saying, just like my dad did when he saw me turn the corner and he would say, Jeff, I want you to hear your name. Same way, whatever your name is, just hear God say it with that joy as he invites you to run right up into the lap on the throne, right up to the throne, right up into his lap, right up in his arms because he is your Abba. He is your daddy and he invites you. I mean, you just push right past the angels, right past all that, just right into his presence. And he just wants you to be with him. He wants you to talk with him. And he cares about what you're going through. And he wants to be in it with you. And so I'm going to just so right now, just want you to, as you use your imagination, that just as you're in his arms right now. Just talk to him. In your own words. In your own heart. And maybe just start by thanking him for who he is, for what he's doing. Thanking him that he's in control in an out of control world and that he's good. Whatever you want to thank him for. And then tell him what you need. The Bible says we can turn our anxieties into prayer requests, into prayers, and he will give us his peace. And so there's a lot of things to be concerned about. So just lay your concerns on God. That's what he asks us to do multiple times in the Bible. So just turn your worries into prayer requests. Say, God, you know, I need this and I please do this and 
please do this and pray. He wants you to. And he's enthusiastically ready to answer. And on behalf of all of us, I want to pray. Father, what Jesus made possible is astounding. And I know we'll, all of us, I don't care how long we've known you, we'll spend our whole lives trying to grasp the fact that this is the kind of relationship you want and that this is what prayer is. It's just unbelievable. It, it just feels too good to be true. And, but it's not because you're that good and you're that gracious and you're that merciful. And thank you for adopting those of us who say yes to you. Thank you for making it available to everybody. Thank you for being a good, good father. In Jesus' name, amen.